Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. I just want to say on this Mother's Day, I feel very blessed personally. I've had uh, a godly, caring mother in my own life who, who raised me, who cared for me. Uh, I now have uh, a beautiful mother in my life who is raising and partnering together to raise our two beautiful daughters. And I was just thinking about it this morning as I was on campus um, and greeting so many of you ladies in our fellowship and just to know as my daughters grow up that they're going to see godly examples of, of women and of mothers in their life. And that if someday they have the opportunity to be mothers themselves, that they won't just have to look to my wife's example of motherhood, although I, I think they'll gain a lot from that, but that they'll be able to look at all of your lives also and see godly examples of motherhood, of of. Um, what it means to be a woman, and, and all those things. So I just want to say personally thank you to the ladies in our fellowship for, um, for being a mother and for loving uh, even my girls from a distance. And uh, so happy Mother's Day. So now I have the challenge of spending the next 35 minutes on a passage that has very little to do with mothers, okay? So, uh, so bear with me. This is kind of a challenging sermon because I have to say nice and sentimental things because some of you have brought like your kids and don't screw this up for me, right? And uh, you might not necessarily get that in this message. Um, but I think actually this message has a lot to do for all of us. It's about broken relationships and broken relationships being made new. And I would imagine for some of us here today that even coming on Mother's Day that this highlights some broken relationships in our lives, some of the pain that we might have, some relationships that aren't exactly what we want them to be. So this morning, we're going to really look not at the example of Joseph, although that's the example we're going to be reading, but through him we see Jesus' example in our life of restoration, uh, of love, of forgiveness. And really, that's, I think, where we're going to be drawing the source of what reconciliation really is all about. But broken relationships, right? I think we all know these things. I think a funny example from my own life is I remember uh, when I was a high schooler, I had uh, this um, weightlifting class every morning in the morning. It was my first thing I did when I got to school. Uh, Might be my only AP class I took in high school. Um, (laughs) But... uh, I showed up every morning, and I had this workout partner of mine, and, and this guy and I, we were, we were okay friends. We didn't spend a lot of time together outside of the gym, but in the gym, we were good friends, and, and he just happened to be Mormon, um, which plays into the story down the road. So, uh, so we're working out one morning, and, and I'm just tired. I'm kind of cranky, and I'm like, man, I hate working out in the mornings, and he gave me this look, like this angry look, like, dude, you must really be a morning person, whatever, Okay. And, and like, so we just keep working out. And the rest of the day, he's just kind of angry with me all day. I'm like, nah, what's going on? What's wrong with this guy? Why is he so upset? And uh, the next day kind of rolls around. He's still kind of angry. So I asked one of my buddies, I'm like, dude, what's up with this guy? Why is he, what's his problem? He's like, dude, you're his problem. You told him you hate working out with Mormons. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, no. So I went and talked to him. I'm like, dude. I heard you said, thought I said, you, I don't like working out with Mormons. He's like, yeah, you said that. What's up? That's so rude. I'm like, no, I'm, I, I must have said I hate working out in the mornings. All right? And so here we had this, this broken relationship. And it was, even though it was something stupid, right, had that have been left to fester, that could have become ugly, right? 
And that's a pretty easy thing to fix. We just had a conversation and we were friends again after that. But I think we all realize that, that we have broken relationships in our lives that can't be fixed just with a simple, oh, misunderstanding, right? That go deeper than that. And, and the story we're going to look at today dives deeper than that. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers. And we're going to especially look at it from the perspective of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers. And if there was ever a reason for broken relationships, relationships that were beyond repair, I think it would be this story, right? So now I'm going to try to summarize like a quarter of the book of Genesis here in, uh, in, in one narrative. But this narrative is really, it's really amazing, right? The story of Joseph, as many of us know, actually begins before Joseph was even born, right? He's born into this dysfunctional polygamous family with 12 brothers who are all mothered by four different women, that even uh, his father Jacob, even before he brought children into this mess of a family he had, it started off rough, right? He went to marry his love, to marry Rachel, and instead he gets tricked into marrying Leah. And instead of loving Leah and devoting his life to her, he ends up taking Rachel also. And they have kids together, and that doesn't enough, and so they have kids with their servants. And so this big convoluted story comes in. And to make it worse, Jacob chooses to pour out all of his love on Rachel and her kids, really to the neglect of the rest of the family. And this creates all sorts of jealousy, all sorts of frustration and hatred and pain. And all this comes to a head one day when all of Joseph's brothers are out working hard out in the fields. They've been out there probably for days, maybe weeks, out working hard in the fields. And Joseph's dad says, hey, uh, go out and check on your brothers, right? Make sure they're doing their work. You're not expected to do work because you got this fancy coat on. I want you just to go out there and check on them, make sure they're doing okay. And they see this guy coming from across the, the hills there, right? He comes over the hill, and they're probably, it probably starts just with a couple of jokes. Ah, oh, here's that spoiled little brat again. What's that punk doing? Is he really coming out here again to check on us, to make sure we're doing our job? Does he even know anything about sheep? Has he even, even watched a sheep? He doesn't know anything about camping out here in the woods. What is he doing out here? I hate that guy. The kid is just miserable. He's always telling on us. He's always, I'd be so much better if he wasn't around. And this just gets worse and worse. And by the time Joseph gets to him, they've made up this plan to kill him. And they get ready to kill him. And and Reuben jumps in for whatever reason. Reuben goes, no, no, let's not kill him. Here's a pit over here. Let's just chuck him in the pit. Let's let the pit do what the pit does to people in the desert, right? That's such a nice thing. And Reuben takes off, and they're all sitting around there near the pit. They could probably hear Joseph screaming down there a little bit. And then there's like kind of the question, well, now what do we do? We can't just leave him in the pit. What if he gets out? He's going to go home. He's going to tell Dad. That's not good. What if somebody finds him down here in the pit? We can't let that happen. I guess we're going to have to kill him. I don't know. You know, we don't know what this conversation was, but we know that they were up there. And all of a sudden, a, a group of Ishmaelite traders comes by. And this probably felt like a godsend. They're probably going, yeah. Yeah, okay. And Judah pipes up. He goes, hey, let's not kill our brothers. Let's not. We don't want to be guilty for killing our brother. That's kind of, that's not a good thing. Let's just sell him as a slave. Then we'll make a little bit of money. This is a good deal. All right. Probably all the brothers are going, dude, that's awesome. That's exactly what we needed to hear. So they drag him up out of the pit, and they sell him. They put him on his way. And Joseph goes off to, to, uh, to Egypt, and the brothers go home to tell their dad, 
about Joseph being torn apart by a wild animal. Really, it seems like they have no care for what this is going to do to their dad. And tear him up. Meanwhile, Joseph is down in Egypt, and Joseph, uh, through only an act of God, really moves on this, this crazy path going from a slave to prison to being abandoned in prison longer, and then to rising to the ranks of prime minister and overseeing this massive food program, really that during a time of famine ends up feeding kind of the entire known world at the time. And Joseph's brothers back with their dad, Jacob, they're run out of food. And so they think, okay, let's go down. Let's buy some grain down in Egypt. Should be a no-brainer, right? Our neighbors, they went down, they bought their grain, they came home. We can do this, no big deal. So they get some silver together, and they, and they head off. They take this caravan, they go down. And they go into the royal palace. And there in front of them, 20 years after the fact that they've seen Joseph for the last time, is this dude, this grown man, very Egyptian-looking grown man, right? And they don't recognize him at all. But Joseph, he recognizes his brothers right away. And there he is, face-to-face with his brothers. I can't imagine what must have been going through his mind. Just the anger, probably. The revenge, these ideas that he's had for 20 years, he's probably pictured this day. In fact, I would be willing to bet that he was even kind of imagining that this day might come soon, knowing that they would have been in famine, that they needed to come down to buy food. But now he's got a decision to make. He's face-to-face with them. And at first, it, it, it seems like he's just going to get his revenge. He starts laying into him. He goes, I know you guys. You guys have come down here to spy on us. You come down here to steal our food. What do you think you're doing? Yeah, I must have put the brothers on their heels, right? Brothers, this was supposed to be a simple transaction. They've never met this guy. What's this guy talking about? How do spies, they just want to buy some food to take home to their families. Because no, you guys are spies. Tell me about your family. What's your dad about? Do you have any other brothers? Oh, you've got another brother. Why didn't you bring him? What does that have to do with anything? He's not here. Don't worry about it. Just give us some food. We'll give you the money and let's get out of here. He takes him. He throws him in jail. And he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to let one of you go home and you can get your brother Benjamin and bring him back. And then I'll give you your food. I'll know you're not spies. You're probably going, really? What is this? We could bring anybody back. What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, Joseph kind of seems to change plans a little bit. And he goes, Actually, all of you guys go to jail. Three days, just hang out in jail. And he spends some time, and he must be thinking about it, processing what to do next. And three days later, he pulls all the brothers out of jail. It's okay, change of plans. Simeon, you got to stay here. The rest of you, I want you to go home, but don't come back here without bringing Benjamin. Don't you dare come back here. If you come back here, I'll give you Simeon back. I'll give you all the grain you need, but do not come back here without your, your brother Benjamin. They go home. That must have been a hard ride home, right? Thinking about their brother Simeon, thinking about their dad going, dude, dad's not going to let Simeon free. Or he's not going to let Benjamin come down here. He loves that kid too much. There's no way he's going to let him loose. So they go home and their food's starting to dwindle. And Reuben goes to his dad first and goes, dad, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my two boys kind of as collateral. Just let me take Benjamin. Let me, let me go down there. His dad's like, no. I don't know how that must have felt for the brothers to know that their dad didn't even care enough about Simeon to let Benjamin go down. It wasn't even worth the risk to him, but it wasn't. So then some more time goes by, and finally Judah goes to his dad. He says, Dad, you got to let us take him. We're all going to die. This is the only way. 
I, I will take responsibility. I will step up. I will, I will be the one in charge of Benjamin. And his dad agrees. And the caravan goes down. I'm sure their hope is just to get their food, get Simeon, get back to, to Palestine, right? They don't want to have anything to do with that. And, and they even they take, uh, on top of that too, is they, when they left Egypt the first time, when they opened their bags, their silver, the silver that they had brought down to buy the grain with had been returned to their bags. And so they're, they're not even sure what to do with that. So they bring extra silver down this time. Maybe it's a mistake. And, and as they're coming down, Joseph sees him and he sees that Benjamin is with them. So he tells his kind of head steward, the head of his house, he says, go out and greet them, bring them in. So the steward goes out and he sees the brothers and the brothers instantly are like, hey, we're so sorry. There was this mix up. It's a weird deal. Somehow the, the money got returned to our bags. And then the steward says something that really blows them away. The steward says, no, no, your God, the God of your fathers gave you this money. That must have felt weird. Like, how do you know our God? You're Egyptian. You worship a totally different set of God. And then without giving him time to think about it, he brings them into this massive banquet and Simeon is brought into the room and they're all sat there, sat down in their birth order. I mean, how, that's amazing. How could you possibly have known when were 12 adult men what their birth order was? And they're all sat down in their birth order and they're looking at their foods. They're overflowing with food. Then they look down at their little brother, Benjamin, and he's got four times the food on his plate, right? Going, really? Jeez, you can't get away from this favoritism stuff. Joseph comes into the room for a little bit, and then he leaves, seems to be kind of emotional. In fact, he won't even eat with them because the racism in, in Egypt won't even allow the Egyptians to eat with these brothers. Then they're sent on their way. Finally, they're out of there. They're ready to go home. And they're, they're, they don't even get hardly out of the city, and the same steward comes up, probably with a whole army, and stops them. And they're going, seriously, we just want to go home. We got all of our brothers. We got Benjamin. Let's get out of here. And they start opening up the bags. And they open up the bags and they get to Benjamin's bag and they open up the bag and there sitting on top of the pile is the golden chalice, the golden cup of Pharaoh. They're going, you gotta be kidding me. So they get hauled back down and they're now face to face with Joseph once again. And what I love about this story and where I think we can learn so much from is listening to Judah's response. The same brother who 20 years ago willingly sold his brother out for chump change to a bunch of slave traders. Now he's face to face with his brother once again that he doesn't even know. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to read in Genesis chapter 44, verse 16. And Joseph has just confronted him. He goes, dude, don't you know that I know things? How do you think you're going to get away with this? And, uh, and Judah says this, so uh, chapter 44, verse 16. And Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servant. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose cup, in whose hand the cup has been found. So they start off, they say, God has found our guilt. It's kind of a crazy, because they're not really guilty of anything at this point in time. But they realize that, now God is, we, we don't have excuses. But now, uh, let us all be servants with my brother. We let us all, we're all for one, one for all sort of thing. What a change that was from, 
from uh, 10 chapters ago when they were so quick to get rid of Joseph. Now they're saying, no, we're, we're in this with Benjamin. What you do to Benjamin, you do to us. And Joseph responds, um, he says, but he says, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup uh, was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear. And do not, uh, and let not your anger burn against your servant. For we, for you are like the Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he is alone, left with his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servant, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the word of my Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our younger brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless um, our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces. And I will never see him. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, the boy is not with us then, and his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. And your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. What a change in so many ways that he says, No. Take my life instead of this boy's. Let the boy and his brothers go home. I'll stay here as a servant. I couldn't bear to see what this would do to my father. And then look at how Joseph responds to this. Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one staying with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God, um, for God sent me before you, to preserve life. What an amazing story of restoration. What an amazing story of forgiveness 
and love and how our relationship, so broken, so damaged, could be made new. And I think that's something that so many of us want for our broken relationships, right? We can all picture that relationship, that family member, that person that our relationship hasn't been quite right with. That we long for the day that we can say, I'm I'm messed up. And we can feel that embrace of forgiveness. So this morning, I want us to take a look at it first from um, Judah's perspective. Because I think a lot of us have a lot more in common with Judah than we do Joseph in this story, right? I mean, we can, we can all uh, think of situations where we've been hurt, but probably we can think of a lot more situations where we have hurt, right? And, and how do we um, bring reconciliation to a relationship that's broken, especially a relationship that, that we might have caused some of the, the pain and the, the, the hardship in? And the first thing I see in this text is understand that the pains of a broken relationship run far deeper than simple actions. See, as I I read this story, as I hear the story of Joseph and his brothers, it's pretty obvious that the pain of this story runs far deeper than just that one act that those brothers made on that hillside, right? It, It runs far deeper than just selling their brother into slavery, that they had all these hurts and these pains and And sometimes I think when we are hurting, when we're in pain, it's natural. It feels right for us to strike out and to hurt others in pain, right? We've all been in those situations where we've done things that we might not be proud of, but it feels kind of right because of what they've done to us or because of the pain that we're going through. The brother's story, they were longing for the love of their father. They were longing for his approval, for his affection, they were longing to be treated with equal. They were in a situation that was, that was actually very unjust. It wasn't fair that while they were out there working in the fields, that Joseph was around the house parading in his fancy outfit, right, and not carrying his load. It wasn't fair that the younger brother was the one that was coming out there as like the foreman on the job. It wasn't just. So they used that to justify their actions. But the thing I love here about Judah's confessional is it seems like he's kind of come to terms with this broken family. You see this in this text, that he realizes that his dad loves his little brother Benjamin more than he loves the rest of them. That he loves Benjamin more than he loves Simeon, who's stuck in jail. Yet, on top of that, he's not going to make excuses for his actions. He's not trying to justify the things he's doing anymore. And I think... For us to to look at the broken relationships and to to see the different factors that are at play in those relationships are healthy. To see the different things that contribute to our brokenness, that contribute to the pain. But it's also, I think we have to be careful not to justify our sinful actions based on those circumstances. That even though that the brother's environment was pretty hostile, even though they were in a family situation that was broken and hurting, it doesn't justify their actions. And I think that's the point that, that Judah gets to where he's no longer trying to make excuses. And I think for us to get to the point where we're no longer trying to make excuses for our actions based on the environments that we're in. So that's the first thing we see here. The second thing um, is that we need to admit our general sinfulness and that it has a lot to do with our relational brokenness. I love that Judah, he starts out this, this kind of speech. He says, what can we say? What excuses can I make? I can't. God has found our guilt. Again, I don't think Judah's talking about specifically the guilt of stealing that cup, 
I think Judah realizes that the guilt of their lives, that the sin in their lives is affecting every aspect of their life and is affecting this moment right here. Because at that moment, I think in some ways, Judah, for that particular situation, Judah was probably innocent, right? It wasn't him who stole the cup. And from his perspective, Joseph was really mistreating them. It wasn't fair the way they were treated. They weren't spies. And for all he knows, Benjamin might have actually stolen that cup, right? He doesn't know. Yet he realizes that at the core of this conflict is his sinfulness. See, and I think at the core of all of our conflict is our own idolatry of self. It's our own worshiping of ourself. And to, to come to the realization that, no, we are broken. And even if in a certain situation where we are in a broken relationship, even if we can't readily see our faults, we could admit that we are a sinful person that brings our sinful brokenness into that relationship. And I think that's a good place to start. Because I think when we start with that, then I think that gives us a place of humility where God can uncover the other sinful aspects that are a part of our life. See, for these brothers, I think they felt pretty justified, at least in the moment, for what they did with Joseph. But they felt justified because of this series of sinful thoughts and actions. It probably started just with joking, just kind of picking on Joseph around the house. It probably just started with some, some mean words and some, some evil kind of conversations that were happening. Maybe with a little bit of taunting, with a little bit of jealousy, with a little bit of hatred. And that built and it built and it built until their final action. But in that final action, they might have even felt totally justified in that action. So I think for me, as I look at my own life, as I look at broken relationships in my life, it's really healthy for me to start back and to say, I'm a sinful person. And even though I feel totally justified in my actions, maybe my actions were skewed by my own sinfulness. Maybe I'm not as innocent as I'd like to be in this situation. And Judah came to the point where he said, I'm not innocent. I'm broken. The next thing I see Judah doing in this text is he takes responsibility for his actions. And I think part of bringing reconciliation is taking responsibility. He's done making excuses, right? He isn't looking to justify his actions. Because in the reality is, he's probably justified to leave Benjamin down there. He did his part. He brought him down there. He took care of him. He kept him safe on the journey down there. And now Benjamin has done this stupid thing of stealing the cup, or at least in his mind, probably, right? And, and he would be justified to turn around and say, hey, I did my part. Benjamin, you screwed this up. Sorry, man. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell dad that another one of your favorites screwed this up. I tried to take care of him, but I, I just can't. But instead he goes, no, I'm responsible to my dad. That I know that this would kill my dad. That even though my dad loves Rachel's kids more than the rest of us, even though it's unfair, I'm going to still choose to be the responsible son and to love my dad in return, even if I'm not receiving the kind of love from him that I feel like I deserve. See, I think that's really hard, especially when we're in the midst of conflict, to take responsibility for our actions, to do what God called us to do, even when it feels unfair, even when it doesn't feel right. When I get into conflict, um, 
when Beck and I are fighting or whatever, my reaction typically goes the same. First, I respond aggressively and offensively, right? I, you know, this is your fault. You did all this. And when that doesn't work out, because it never does work out, uh, I take the exact opposite approach and I just start apologizing for everything. I'm sorry. It was my fault. I shouldn't have done it. And I remember one time I was doing this and Becca was like, you know what? If you were really sorry, you would change. And I made the stupid mistake of saying what I thought. And I said, you're right. I'm not sorry. I just don't want you to be mad at me anymore, right? And for whatever reason, that didn't work. Uh, (laughs) And it's because I wanted to say sorry without taking responsibility. And I think what we see in Judah here is he's he's not just saying simple words. He's saying, no, I'm a changed person. I'm taking responsibility for my actions. And part of reconciliation is taking responsibility, is saying, okay, this is what I need to do. This is, I'm going to do this. And next thing I see from Judah's life is that he makes sacrifices. And what a changed man he is, that at the end of this speech, he says, okay, take my life. I, I will give my life up. Just let my brothers go home. I'll, I'll, I'll give up. It's, it's not about me. Let them go free. I'm sacrificing my life. You know, compromise is, I think it's necessary in relationships, right? We all have to compromise. And compromise is, okay, I'll give a little bit up in exchange that you give a little bit up, right? There's always a, a this for that. Sacrifice isn't like that, though. Sacrifice is, I'll give it up with no strings attached. And I think that really is at the core of the good news of the gospel. This is pointing forward to really what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus says, I will give up my life in exchange for years, no strings attached, and praise God for that. Praise God that Jesus didn't say, I will give up my life for you, so now you have to be perfect. I'll give up my life for you, but you better pray five times a day. You better do all the things that I've asked you to do. But he doesn't do that. He says, I give up my life for you as a free gift. And that is our model as Christians. When we're seeking to build reconciliation, I think for us to, to come with the, the spirit of sacrifice, to come to say, I'm broken, I'm sorry, I'm guilty, I've screwed up. What can I do to make this right? What can I give up? How can I, how can I give of myself for this relationship? And what an incredible message of the gospel that is when, when we as believers, when we live that out in our life. And again, this, this story is beautiful, not just because of what Judah does, but how Joseph responds. And there are situations in all of our lives where people have hurt us. And it can be so hard to forgive them, right? It can be so hard to let go of that pain, that suffering. And what I love about Joseph is, is he doesn't just do it blindly. You don't just see Joseph just becoming a doormat for his brother saying, great, you guys are back. Everything you've ever done, I forgive you of all that. But I think in this, we see a model of reconciliation for how we can forgive people that have hurt us. So how do we seek reconciliation for somebody who sinned against us? First point here, and I think the most profound point of this, is understand that reconciliation is God's work. When this whole thing gets done, Joseph says, hey guys, check it out, I'm Joseph. And you guys might think that you're the ones who sent me here. You might think this is all your fault, that you're, but no, let me tell you something. 
even in the midst of all this, God sent me down here so that I can bring healing, that I can bring saving to the world. This is not my plan, but God's plan. This was not your plan, but God's plan. And later, after Jacob dies, the brothers get nervous again, and they're going, oh, no, what's Joseph going to do to us? And Joseph says, no, what you guys might have meant for evil, God meant for good. See, Joseph realizes that at the core of reconciliation is the plan of God. So often, I think, when we think of broken relationships made new, we just think about our relationship with another person and how it's going to make us feel and how it's going to make the person feel. Now, obviously, Joseph was very emotional. He loved his brothers in a way that he wanted to be reconnected with them. But I don't think this story is about Joseph having a good relationship with his brothers. I think this story is about what God was doing in their lives. In fact, it's amazing that even by Joseph saving his brothers, even by him saving Judah, in some ways he was kind of lessening himself. Because as the story goes on, Judah, the tribe of Judah that comes out of the line of Judah, ends up becoming the most prominent tribe in all of Israel, where the two tribes that come off of Joseph end up not being as prominent. So by Joseph saving his older brother Judah, he actually promotes Judah's kids over his own. And what a beautiful story of of reconciliation. And so I think sometimes when we just think of reconciliation about just how it's going to make us feel or how it's going to make the other person feel, I think we miss the point. As followers of Jesus, we forgive others, not just because of our own relationship, but because of what God wants to do in our lives, because it's the work of God in our lives. So first off, I think reconciliation starts with us understanding that, seeing it as God's plan in our life, the work that that Jesus is doing in our lives. The next thing I see um, Joseph doing here is I see him asking a lot of questions and listening with an open mind. I think he genuinely wants to know, how's dad? How about Benjamin? Have you guys killed him too? Is he stuck in a pit somewhere? Is he a slave somewhere? How's How's Benjamin? And he wants to know, and also it seems like he listens to their answers with an open mind. He's allowed them to be changed people. This is hard to do. Right? When people hurt us, we want to just kind of think of them as some sort of terrible person for the rest of their life. I've got this, I had this bully when I was a freshman in high school, this kid that used to pick on me. And to this day, I'm convinced he's a jerk, right? I don't know him. In fact, I tried to look him up on Facebook one time and he wasn't on there. And I was like, see, it's because he's in prison. I know it. (laughs) Finally got what was coming to him, right? And if he was to show up today, the nicest guy on earth, I would look at him and I would have a hard time seeing that in him. Yet Joseph sees his brothers who sold him into slavery, who planned to kill him. And he was able to see the work that God had been doing in their life, that they were changed. Am I willing to look at the people who have hurt me and to to look at them and to see what God's doing in their life? That's hard to do. I think Joseph, he also, he took time. You know, he gets done. He's got this plan to throw all of his brothers in jail, send one home. And then he kind of stops and he takes three days to have them sit in jail while he comes up with a plan. And I think sometimes in the midst of broken relationships, we need to, we feel like we just got to fix it right now. Like it's got to be done right now. We don't have time. Just get in there and get it done. And I think there's a model here for taking time, allowing the process, allowing to process what's going on, not feeling rushed into making the wrong decision. Another thing we see here is that 
uh, Joseph offers generosity to his brothers in the midst of this process, right? He had set up this food program. It was his business. He deserved to make the money off of his brothers. But even in that act, he returns the money to them. He's showing them generosity. He, he's kind of caring for them even through this process while he's working through forgiving them and rebuilding trust. He's offering them generosity along that process. And how beautiful is that? And then even in the end, when it comes to forgiveness, when I read Judah's story, there's a lot of pieces missing in there for me. If I was Joseph, I would have wanted to hear Judah say, not just my brother died, but that I killed my brother. I I would have wanted to hear that. There's a lot to this I would have still wanted to hear. Yet Joseph gives generously to his brothers. He doesn't wait till they've fully been reconciled in every little piece of their relationship, but he, he goes ahead and he offers forgiveness. And for those of us who have people who have hurt us, what would it look like if we gave generously during the process of forgiveness? And then the last piece I see here is that Joseph genuinely seeks to rebuild trust. I think a lot of us are, are probably have relationships in our life I know I do, that we have forgiven somebody, but we're not sure we're ready to trust that person, right? And we can almost feel guilty about that, like, oh man, I, I, but I just don't trust them and this and that. And I don't think Joseph trusted his brothers. In fact, he shouldn't have trusted his brothers. They had, he had no reason to trust his brothers. Yet he set up this process, this with the, the testing, with bringing extra food to Benjamin with the cup. And I think in part that was to learn how much he could trust his brothers, See, I think he'd already forgiven them. In fact, I kind of think that he had been forgiving them even before he saw them. And I think he had really come to a place of forgiveness when he saw Benjamin come down for that, you know, to Egypt. Yet he set up this process to rebuild trust. And I think for a lot of our relationships, I think sometimes forgiving people and rebuilding trust might be two separate things. Yet I see what he does is he, he gives that time and he seeks to rebuild the relationship fully that he wants to have trust with them. He wants to have connection. He wants to have the fullness of their relationship. So this morning, um, happy Mother's Day, right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe not the message that's super sentimental, but I think it's a message that speaks to all of us. So who in our life do we need to, to have a relationship made new with? Maybe it's somebody that we've hurt, or maybe it's somebody who's hurt us and God's calling us to, to bring reconciliation, to, to follow his example of love and of forgiveness. So let's pray. And as we pray, maybe our prayer can just be um, that God shows us where are those relationships and what are those next steps for us. God, you are making all things new. And my life and our life, there's a lot that needs to be made new. We're broken and we're selfish and uh, we justify really horrible actions. I justify horrible actions. I treat people terribly and I feel fine about it. I pray that you convict us of that. I pray that even the day that we um, maybe make those phone calls, that we have those conversations, that we begin the process of forgiveness and of love. So God, we praise you that you are a God of reconciliation, that you are a God who forgave us when we didn't deserve it. So God, I pray that you work in our lives so we can forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.